to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our God, as we begin now this new sermon series, as we look at the book of Acts, we pray that you would help us be the church. And today, help us to see Jesus and to be changed as we do. We pray this together in his name. And everyone said, amen. If somebody beats death, it changes everything. There is a place in the Lord of the Rings, the book, not the movie, where one of the characters, Sam, thought he died. And so he wakes up. And as he wakes up, he sees in front of him one of his great friends that he thought had also died. And when Sam sees his great friend and realizes he's alive, I'm alive, Sam, in that part of the story, cries out, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And when you beat death, it changes everything. Everything sad comes untrue. The book of Acts is the record of the earliest Christians for whom everything had changed. And the reason for that is because they believed that Jesus beat death. They believed to the very core of their being that Jesus Christ is alive. And that single truth made the church alive. These early Christians were filled with life and with energy and joy in their city because of their rock-solid confidence that Jesus beat death. Now, as we begin this new sermon series today, as we ask the question, what makes the church alive? What will make Reality Church London alive in our city? What's going to fill us with joy and with hope and with power? The answer is rock-solid confidence that we know Jesus is alive. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. You know, we just read Acts chapter 1. There's a lot in this chapter. We could talk about the Holy Spirit. We could talk about the mission of the church 
over the next to talk about Jesus' teaching on the kingdom. And actually, we're going to talk about all those things over the next few months. But today, all I want to talk with you about is what it means that Jesus is alive. What does it mean for the church? What does it mean for your life that Jesus is the living Lord? And so that's all we're going to look at today. Three headings to help guide our time. We're going to see that Jesus is risen, Jesus is reigning, and Jesus will return. Jesus is our living Lord. He's risen, he's reigning, and he will return. If we see that, we'll be a church alive. So let's get to work. First, Jesus is risen. Look with me, if you would, verse 3 of the passage. It says, after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them, that's the disciples, and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. Now, if you don't know anything about the story of Christianity, that verse needs explanation. Why? Because I, as I stand here before you today, don't need to give you any convincing proofs that I'm alive. So why would Jesus here need to give convincing proofs he's alive? And the reason is because, again, if you know the story of Christianity, about 40 days before this, he died. He was killed on a Roman cross. He was put in a tomb. He was buried. Jesus was completely dead. And yet, verse 3 tells us, Jesus is here gathered with his disciples because three days after dying... He rose from the dead. This is the Christian doctrine of the resurrection. And it's really important that we understand what resurrection means. Resurrection, the idea that Jesus rose from the dead, means he did so physically and bodily. That if you were to see the risen Jesus and you were to poke him, you would feel something. It isn't that Jesus rose in the hearts of his followers. That Jesus lives on as a sort of feely and good hero that we just remember in our hearts. Jesus physically and bodily rose from the dead. And that truth, the resurrection of Jesus, that he actually beat death, was the truth that animated the first Christian church, that helped them become a force, a powerful force for good in their city. And so the first thing we need to know, if we're going to be a church alive, we have to believe and live in a risen Jesus. And so I want to spend a couple of minutes now talking with you about the resurrection. We're kind of preparing for Easter a few months out. But how do we know? Jesus here, verse 3, gives many convincing proofs that he's alive. What proof do we have? What proof is there to believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Let me just give you a couple. Look first with me down at verse 4. The text tells us on one occasion while he was eating with them. Now we read that passing. We just go, oh, he was having a meal. But think about it. That's actually incredibly significant. Because ghosts don't eat. Apparitions don't sit down for meals. They don't go to the pub. Only people with bodies sit down to eat. If you've ever seen a movie in which a ghost is eating, the food just goes right to the floor because it doesn't have a place to land. And so the authors of the gospel, these comments are not just passing, they're significant because they're saying Jesus rose with a body. He rose as a physical entity. He wasn't just spirit, he wasn't just a myth. This was a man who beat death and came back to life. 
And that's one of the reasons why throughout the Gospels and here in the book of Acts, whenever you see the risen Jesus, the thing he does more than anything else is he sits down to eat. It's a way of saying he came back. That's one proof. The second, though, that I want to give you as we consider the risen Jesus today is actually the very book of Acts itself. It's the record of the church. You see, these were people who were not likely to believe that someone could rise from the dead. They would have been skeptical. And yet, when faced with the risen Jesus, almost overnight, this group of people, the disciples, had their entire worldview changed. And these people who would have thought it's impossible for somebody to rise from the dead, almost overnight, became so convinced that Jesus did rise from the dead that they were willing, and many did, give their own lives for that truth. And what you actually see here is people so confident that Jesus beat death that it gives rise to this explosive growth in the first century called the church. And what started as a tiny group of followers of Jesus eventually becomes a movement that spreads across the whole world. N.T. Wright, who teaches at Oxford, who's a scholar, a leading scholar, about ancient beliefs regarding resurrection, he says this, The proposal that Jesus was bodily raised from the dead possesses unrivaled power to explain the spread of early Christianity. To say it more simply, it's very difficult to explain the growth and the spread of Christianity without the resurrection of Christ. But what you have here are people who were so convinced Jesus beat death, he rose from the dead, that they were willing to give everything to share that truth. Now, we could go on with evidences, and if you have more questions about the trustworthiness of the resurrection of Jesus, talk to me. I would love to talk about why the resurrection is sensible and resources that could help you in discovering. But there's one more thing I want to say about the risen Jesus. The resurrection isn't just sensible, it's also beautiful. Look again, verse 4. On one occasion... Jesus was eating with his disciples. And I remember reading that a few weeks ago, getting ready for this sermon, and I felt absolutely profoundly shaken in a beautiful way. What do you do with people that you love? Why? You eat with them. You know, if there's someone that you want to get to know, this is why many first dates start with a meal. If you want to get to know somebody, if you love somebody, one of the things that you do is you eat with them. And that was actually even more true in the first century. The way in which you shared intimacy, the way in which you shared closeness was by reaching in and grabbing from the same loaf, by sharing from the same bowl, by drinking from the same cup. And as we ate together, we became one. It was a sign of incredible intimacy and closeness. And now here's the risen Jesus. I mean, he just beat death. He just actually came across on the other side of the great shadow. And what does he want to do? I'm thinking we got to start a campaign. We got to blog this. We got to get it out there. We got to pronounce and tell the world. And Jesus says, yeah, we'll get there. But first, let's sit down and have lunch. I just want to be with you, Jesus is saying to his followers. And I want you to hear that today. He wants that the risen Jesus, the the the. The one who beat death, what does he want? He wants to be close to you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to share life with you. 
Jesus beat death so he could walk with you through every season of your life. It's astounding. And notice Luke says, on one occasion, meaning he probably did that. Jesus is eating constantly with his people. Why? Because that's what he wants to do. He wants to be close to you. And so the resurrection means Jesus lives, and he lives to be close, connected, and intimately related to his followers. Know that today. Jesus is risen. But second, not only is he risen, he's also reigning. This leads us to talk about the Christian doctrine of the ascension. This is not something that churches talk about that much, but we're going to talk about it today. The Christian doctrine of the ascension of Jesus. So, verse 4 through 8, Jesus gives teaching. We're not going to unpack that teaching today. After that, look with me down at verse 9. So, Jesus has given some teaching. Now, verse 9. After he gave his teaching, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid, from, hid him from their sight. And you could almost, you know, I want to know, where did he go? Like, Jesus, you know, he's just talking, he's teaching, and then all of a sudden, he's gone. The text tells, he was taken up into heaven, and he disappeared. And so the question is, where did he go? And this leads us to this great Christian truth, the great Christian teaching, that after he rose, Jesus spent about 40 days on earth with his disciples, and then he ascended bodily into heaven. And we're told in another part of the Bible, this is Hebrews 10, if you want to look it up later, that after he ascended, Jesus sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Now that language, sat down at the right hand of God, that basically means the king has taken his throne. And Jesus is now ascended, having beat death, ascended into heaven, and he's reigning over the universe as king. That's where Jesus is at this moment. And just think with me, just pause. If you're a Christian, if you come to church a lot, when we talk about Jesus, we often talk about what he did in the past, his dying and his rising. But do we spend time thinking about what Jesus is doing right now? I mean, what is Jesus up to at this moment? And the answer is he's on his throne And according to the New Testament, there are really two main things that Jesus, as the reigning king, is doing for his people at this moment. And so we're going to spend a minute unpacking them. This is what Jesus is doing today. He's interceding and he's advocating for his people. The reigning risen Jesus is at this moment interceding and advocating for you. Intercession of Jesus and advocacy. So let's unpack both of those. First, the intercession of Jesus. I want to read to you. This is Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Hebrews 7, 25 says this. Therefore, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. What Jesus is always doing what he's doing right now, interceding for his people. So what does it mean to intercede? It means to make a case on behalf of someone. If you are looking to buy or rent a flat, your agent is supposed to be your intercessor. And so if they're a good agent, what they do is they plead on your behalf to the owner or to the landlord so that you can get into that space if they're a good agent. 
That's your intercessor. They're making a case on your behalf. And what we're learning is Jesus, as he ascended, as he went up to heaven, to do what? To ever live to make a case on your behalf, to plead for you. That at this moment and right now, Jesus at the right hand of God the Father is making your case and pleading on your behalf. Can you begin to see why this is incredibly good news? I mean, think with me. In the church, it's encouraging, right? If you're going through something, maybe in your small group, and somebody says, oh, I'm gonna pray for you. That's encouraging, and I like to know that. I like to hear that, and we believe in the power of prayer. But can we be honest in confessing for a moment that sometimes, even when we say that, we actually forget to pray for people? Sometimes we just say it. Or what about in your own life? You're going through something, and you know you need to be praying more. But the fact is, many of us, we don't pray as often as we should. We don't pray as deeply as we should. We get distracted. Our prayer lives are not what they should be. Jesus is praying for you right now. Jesus is interceding on your behalf. Jesus never forgets to pray, and he's never bad at prayer. What kind of comfort, what kind of hope would it bring into your life if right now in this moment, you could hear Jesus making a case for you to God the Father. You say, well, wait a second. I thought Jesus already finished the work of salvation. I thought, what more is there to plead? What more is there to ask God for? And here's the answer. Jesus, in his death and his resurrection, he did complete the work of salvation. But your experience of that salvation is still a work in progress. Say it this way. The cross means that you are loved and you are forgiven. That all your guilt and shame is taken away. But you don't live like a person who's fully forgiven. You don't always live like a person. You don't feel like you are loved and accepted no matter what. Sometimes your shortcomings and your sin and your failure, that feels more real to you. Your loneliness or your introversion doesn't make you feel like you belong or you're accepted. And so what is Jesus doing right now? He's interceding for you. He is taking the truth that's already objectively true about what he's accomplished on the cross and he's interceding so that it would become subjectively felt by you. That you would experience the truth of your salvation. That's what the intercession of Jesus is about. It's stunning. And that's why there are verses in scripture that say, when you don't know how to pray as you should, the spirit of God gives you the words. It's the words of Jesus that are being interceded for you. He's our intercessor. But not only that, he's also your advocate. Let me read to you another verse from the New Testament. This is 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 says this. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, intercessor we've already seen. John now is talking about an advocate, the advocacy of Jesus. And you say, well, what's the difference? An advocate sounds like an intercessor, and that's true. They're very similar. But hear what John is saying. If anybody sins, we have an advocate with the Father. The advocacy of Jesus has to do with sin. And here's how it works. In your life, there are parts of your life, there are things that you've done, there are things that you feel 
that you're ashamed of. There's deep pockets of darkness and sin. There are things that you do or have done that you don't want anybody to know. And in those spaces of your life, in those dark places, you are incredibly susceptible to accusation. You see, one of the names for the devil in the Bible is the accuser. And what the devil does is he accuses you. So you have a sin, you have a pattern or an addiction or a disposition that you're not proud of, something you wish weren't true of you. And what the devil does is he roars down in your life with accusation and says, see, you'll never be loved. You're never going to be free of this. God really won't accept you. You don't belong. You'll never be free. And so the devil comes with accusation and it makes you feel like you're stuck in sin forever. You're stuck in shame and guilt forever. (laughs) But we need to know that we have an advocate. We have someone who answers those accusations. Jesus in the presence of the Father in those moments of sin, in those moments of shame, in those moments of accusation, says, yes, that may be true, there may be sin there, but I have died for it and I have paid for it and it is no longer on your account. One author writing about the advocacy of Jesus put in this way. This is Dane Ortland. he says, we do indeed continue to sin after becoming Christian. Sometimes we sin big sins. And that's what the advocacy of Jesus is for. It's God's way of encouraging us not to throw in the towel. Yes, we fail as Christ's disciples. But his advocacy on our behalf rises higher than our sin. His advocacy speaks louder than the accusations. He rises up. He defends your cause based on the merits of his own suffering and death. That's what Jesus is doing for you today at this moment. Interceding, pleading for you, and defending you against accusation on the basis of his own finished work. You see, the early church, they knew this. They saw him rise, they saw him ascend, and they knew that he was living to intercede and advocate on their behalf. And that gave them hope and confidence. You see, many of the early disciples, they were timid, they were afraid, they were even socially awkward, but they changed the world. Why? Because in their moments of fear, they remembered the intercession of Jesus. In their moments of shame and guilt, they remembered the advocacy of Jesus, and they went forward. We will be a church alive to the degree we see Jesus risen, interceding, and advocating for us. And there's one more thing. Not only is Jesus risen, reigning, but also the last part of the passage, he is returning. He's returning. And this is where we'll close our sermon today. Jesus ascends to heaven, and quite naturally, the disciples, as Jesus rises and disappears... They're looking into the sky and they're going, that was, we've never seen that before. Where'd he go? And look at verse 10. Suddenly, there were two men dressed in white. These are angels. They stood beside them. They said, verse 11, men of Galilee, those are the disciples. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? 
this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. Picture the scene. The disciples are there, Jesus is teaching, then all of a sudden he ascends and he's gone. And they're going, okay, all right. And all of a sudden there's angels. And the angels say, basically, what are you guys doing? Now, the logical answer would be, what do you mean what are we doing? He just, he was here and now he's not and we're looking. But if you look at the whole passage, you begin to understand the angel's question. Because in verse 8, what does Jesus do? We'll get here in a few weeks, but Jesus gives the church a mission. Verse 8 of the passage, Jesus tells the disciples, I want you to go into all the world to make the gospel known. I want you to start here in Jerusalem, this area where you live, but I want you to eventually get out to the farthest corners of the earth, sharing the gospel, telling people about what I've accomplished and what I've done to save and to bring healing and rescue. That's called the mission of the church. And so Jesus gives the disciples his mission that has them looking out to the world. But now here they are looking up to the sky. And the angels basically come and say, what are you guys doing? Don't look up in the stars, look out on your world because you've been given a mission and you need to get going. It's time to start. It's time to start sharing this good news. Don't worry, Jesus will come back. He'll be back. But until he comes back, you have a job to do. And that's to tell the whole world about the good news of Jesus Christ. So stop looking into the sky and get going. That's basically what the angel is saying. And so the early church, why were they alive? Why were they filled with energy and joy? Why did they change the world with the message of Jesus? It's because they believed he's going to come back one day. And when he comes back, we don't want to be caught sitting on the couch doing nothing. We want to be busy with the mission he gave us. And so we're going to be fully committed to sharing this good news for as much time as we have. And one day Jesus will come back. And when he does, everything sad is going to come untrue. But until he does, we've got work to do. And so we as a church are going to love and serve this city. We're going to proclaim the gospel. We're going to serve in broken places. We are going to help London become more whole to the degree that we remember Jesus is going to return. That one day Jesus is going to come back. And if you see Jesus today, if Reality Church London sees Jesus today as risen, as reigning, and as returning, we're going to be a church alive. And so let's pray now that God would help us to so see Jesus and to have an impact in our city for his glory. Let's pray. Our God, thank you. We pray Acts chapter one, this introduction to the story of your church. And Lord, we pray now that all that we've said, all that we've seen would be prompting us, that would be leading us today to deeper, more real, clearer glimpses of Jesus, that, that today we would hear him interceding and advocating on our behalf. That at this moment, right now, we would see him as as risen, as having defeated death, as being our living Lord. And Lord, make us a church alive. Make us a church filled with the life of Jesus and making him known in our city. This we pray for your glory, for our good, as we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.